0: This is Peter.
1: And this is Tom.
0: And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Fresco, and welcome back to our podcast.
1: Well, today I guess we decided we're gonna kinda take a break from all the American history, all the politics that we somehow look at, and we're gonna look at um, a little bit of world history. And we're going to dive into the most famous pharaoh of our time, not of his time, but of our time. And that would be um, the boy king known as King Tutankhamun, otherwise known as King Tut.
0: Yep. Great point you brought up is every, everywhere I research, he was like the most, or rather the least significant pharaoh out of all of them in his time. He even I got gypped like, no. in his tomb, they said. They gave him like a little tomb. And now he is the most famous of all. Right? Most well-known,
1: yeah. Probably. Yeah, that's a, it, I guess, yeah, even other than Ramses, I guess. But he's probably more... Ramsey's doesn't have a uh, song, song, a comedy song by uh, Steve Martin named after him, you know?
0: True that. True statement again. So, uh, today we are going to talk about, obviously, King Tut. figure we'll kind of run through, just discussing briefly, like, what Egypt was like at the time. Um, then we'll get into a little bit of background of King Tut. But then we'll really get into, you know, his death and discovery of his tomb. Because that's really when he becomes popular. You know, the... I think the fact that we have mummy movies from, you know, from silent era, 1920s, all the way through to the latest mummy movie, um, the whole mummy craze really stems from the discovery of King Tut's tomb.
1: It's just that Egyptology craze. Yeah, it's really can be traced back then. It's still big today, which we'll get into.
0: Uh, Just kind of briefly talking about Egypt at a time, you know, Egypt, scholars kind of divide the history of ancient Egypt into three different main periods. You have the Old Kingdom which is about um, 2,575 B.C. to about 2130 B.C. Then you have the Middle Kingdom, which is about 1938 B.C. to 1630 B.C. And then the New Kingdom, which is about 1539 B.C. to uh, 1075 B.C. And it is in this New Kingdom um, in, in which King Tut lives. So structure for government, kind of as you alluded to it, Tom, even even with the old kingdom, right? Egyptian rulers that were later called pharaohs organized like a strong centralized state. And these guys were believed to be, pharaohs were believed to be forms of gods. The great pyramids that we know today were actually built during the old kingdom time. And then when the middle kingdom kind of came about, you had a lot of invasions of Egypt and it was kind of like the weaker time until you have the new kingdom where you have a very strong leadership and kind of Egypt- hits its its highlight, I guess, of its um, history. A very important religion in Egypt. There are a lot of different gods, but the, the main god was the chief god of the sun, Amun-Ra. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Egypt itself was a very sun-drenched land, right? Oh, so desert. Yeah, you're in the desert. Yeah.
1: I mean, you're about the Nile. You, they don't have it up being on the Nile, but you're going to worship the sun. The sun is going to have such an effect... On your life, it's going to become the that main deity, and that's something that um is important to understand. Is that they are this um, polytheistic culture? They have all these different gods, and we're going to get into that because King Tut's uh, father actually yes. changes that, and that's one reason why um, the pharaoh what was his name um, Akhenaten. Akhenaten yep. he was uh, disliked so much, and that's one reason why he, after he died, King Tut will take over when he's only nine years old.
0: Yep. And actually, people were very happy that he died.
1: Yeah, they were happy he died because he was so controversial. Because he, he got rid of that polytheistic and made it one single god. Um, yeah. The sun god, Aten.
0: Yep. So what he essentially ignores, which is, which is again, so entrenched in history of Egypt, is the two other really known gods, right? You have um, Osiris and the goddess Isis. Um, and the idea here is that to Egyptians, Osiris was especially important, right? He ruled over the underworld, but he was also the god of the Nile. So in that role, he controlled the, the annual floods that made the land fertile. There's these Egyptian views of afterlife. Ultimately, they, there's a strong belief in afterlife that it is very much similar to like life on earth. And this becomes important when we talk about mummification, specifically because to give the soul use of its body in the afterlife, Egyptians perfected rather different skills in mummification because they wanted to preserve so, yeah, the dead That's why these
1: tombs are so elaborate. There's so much stuff inside of the tombs. It's because they, they believe that, you know, the, the body, the mummy needs all these things in the afterlife. That's where they're going to spend eternity is in this tomb. So that's why there were so many things placed in there.
0: Yep. And kind of going back real quick to these other gods, uh, to win eternal life, there was this idea that Egyptians believed that each soul had to pass a test. And after the dead it was ferried across the lake of fire to a hole of Osiris, the god weighed each soul's heart against the feather of truth. And those that he judged to be sinners were fed to the um, like a crocodile-shaped eater of the dead, I guess. And then the worthy souls entered a happy field of food. Anyway, to survive this dangerous journey through the underworld, um, this kind of, I remember coming up in the movies, the mummy movies, Egyptians relied on the book of the dead, which contains spells, charms, and like other magic formulas that meant to help the dead in the afterlife. But as we said, they mummified them and put so many things into those tombs so that way people could enjoy their afterlife, per se. So I think before we get to Tut, last thing, as you already mentioned, is his father, right? Ken, Akhenaten. Akhenaten. Let's go for it. Sounds good. You say that better, right? Well, I can say his, his wife is an easier name. Nephrodite, right? That's yes. good to know.
1: Well, what about, but, it interesting on, yeah, about his no. wife, was that his, um, Akhenaten's wife was also his sister. Yes. And that's something that's very important when it comes to King Tut, Ty- really all of Egypt, is that brothers and sisters marrying was, was very very common and they yes. wanted to keep the royal bloodline. And even not and really because King Tut's parents were brother and sister, the, his DNA would just um he had a lot of issues, which we'll get to. And yes. even King Tut married his um half sister. Yes. And um they wound up having two children which were both born stillborn because of again the, so this so much inbreeding. inbreeding the in, inbreeding that I was like a this. lot.
0: Like insanely a lot.
1: That's just what they believe in. I mean you had that in European culture too. Maybe not to that extent, but they had a lot of that Uh. European culture with with the inbreeding, with they would keep within the you know cousins and stuff like that. I guess the royal times. Well, you had to keep the royal blood pure. That was the idea, but they didn't really understand the um, genetics behind that.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, this we're talking about three thousand years ago here, you know. So obviously, slightly different um, social norms, but yeah, as you said, just a bit, just a bit, right? As you're saying, so Kintud's parents were were brother and sister, right? And his dad, as you said, basically. Kind of threw a you know poop in a fan here. Um, he orders priests to worship only one god. He removed uh, different names of other gods from the temples. Like this guy went through his entire like try to revolutionize religion. And when he died, it all kind of went back. And people were very excited that he died, which is why they kind of rushed his replacement. And his replacement was his son um, Tutankhamun, which we know more commonly as King Tut. Therefore, King Tut assumed power at the age of nine yeah, and he had a 10 year reign yes
1: so king Tut comes to power he's kind of what i was getting a lot of is that he's his successors after him kind of erase his reign for the most part they kind of just overlook it he wasn't really known the history they knew there was a boy king at one point in history before his tomb gets discovered but really all they really focused on or the big thing that king tut did was he did reverse what his father did with uh having just one god he does bring in no uh, we're going to worship the priest of the worship multiple gods again so that kind of becomes his thing and um other than that he is unique because king Tut- is one of the few pharaohs that they do have pictures of like the carvings and the paintings and he's always sitting down yes and they think that's because he was very tall but he's also physically frail and he had a crippling bone disease that left his uh, left foot clubbed and that's going to be this like the debilitating disease that i know a lot of pictures also have him carrying canes and stuff like that this is i think they kid. found actually in his tomb yes, they found goes.
0: 130 of his canes, of
1: canes. Yeah. yeah that's another thing we'll get to is his his tomb well we'll save that I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll save go. that we'll save that but that's, yeah, a teaser. So he, that's a teaser as a
0: teaser doo-doo. no but um as you mentioned and i think a lot of this the sicknesses that he was dealing with do was due to the fact of inbreeding
1: yeah i think he had malaria they said like over 12 that times. was like
0: bad yeah like really bad we could find all this out from CAT scans and stuff. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, technology. what they do, I mean. yeah. Some people try to figure out how and why he died. Yeah. And the reason for that is because once he is found, they actually find a, a hole in the back of his skull. And they try to think, like, was he assassinated? Like, did someone and assassinate him? I remember him?
1: hearing that when we learned about him in school years ago, obviously a long time ago. They yeah. said, oh, they think he might have been assassinated, blowed to the head. But then the research that I was doing for, uh, for this, they were saying that not, they don't really think that was the case as much anymore, right? They're yep. saying um, that, was that, that hole in the back of his head was probably done during mummification, right? To remove like, yep. the brain and things like that. And they think he probably died from uh, an infection in
0: his leg. Yeah, they said it was so bad that when they did um, – they were able to tell – this is another thing that's crazy. They were able to tell that the infection in his, in his knee and in his leg was so bad, the wound was so bad, that it was actually still open when he died because when they uh, were mem- mummifying him, right – they said there's like traces of that oil and stuff they put on him seeping through that area, which means that he had an open wound. Um, And they're trying to figure out that maybe potentially he died in like a chariot race, because they're trying to figure out what could cause such terrible damage to a knee. They said it really, it wasn't like he just kind of fell or hit something like this was like a forcibly broken knee that happened during his lifetime, which is what um, kind of made people, and he died from that, ultimately. I mean, it was a bad well, infection.
1: Yeah, you know, and they're saying one reason why he could have got that injured, I don't know if you saw this, was actually um, from a, and this was kind of weird. Well, I mean, everything about this is kind of weird and different, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I was going to say. Is um, he died in an ostrich hunt. What? That, because he 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 loved to hunt ostriches. That's what they said. Um, and it was a big thing. One of his most, pro also buried with him, was this ostrich fan feather was discovered lying in his burial chamber close to his body. And um, what they realized is that ostriches were like very, very important um, birds, animals in ancient Egyptian culture. They would, um, the royal sport was allowing to hunt them. Uh, they kind of show the pharaoh's um, control over nature and things like that. And they think that um, during one of these hunts that he probably was, was injured. It could be an accident they would chase him with like chariots, the ostriches, because they're so fast. What? And like hunt them down. And then it was probably an accident. And that's one uh, way that they think he could have died. Or like at least oh, got he is, hurt, and then they yeah. uh, hurt the leg, and then the infection spread. And his body was so weakened from being inbred and for also having malaria so many times. So let's let's get into the discovery of King Tut. Being in the Valley of the King, Kings, he's actually the smallest of all of those tombs. So yeah. it's just important to keep that in mind as we're talking about how big this tomb actually is and all the artifacts and all the things that are in this tomb. It is big, and they all these hundreds and hundreds of artifacts. It took them ten years,
0: yeah. ten years to catalog, take everything out and catalog, like catalog it, and that can say yeah. catalog everything. But, but then just you gotta
1: imagine how ten years. But this is nothing compared to the other tombs yeah. that existed that we know existed before. And one of the only reasons that we even found King Tut's tomb, and a lot of people say, okay, it was never touched. Actually, it was kind of semi-touched before. They believe or semi robbed
0: at some point. Yeah,
1: at some point. But the only reason is that whoever was doing that caused a cave in and. um, and they also, when they were building, when I say they, the the architects, when they were building a tomb for um, another pharaoh, actually caved in part of King Tut's tomb and kind of yep. buried it. And that's yeah, because we they, keep on,
0: we need to we need to keep on reminding ourselves this was three thousand years yeah, ago. They found it so, three so, like thousand years later. Yeah, exactly. Civilizations have lived in that area for three thousand years after this, which means he was buried like under new civilizations, more or less that did different things actually quite frankly when he was found so he's um he's discovered in 1922 right yes. um it was november 4th 1922 a guy down um that finds it is howard carter howard carter yeah he's a british archaeologist so what happens is this this wealthy guy has been sponsoring him for like gee i think it says to carter worked in egypt for like 30 years before he found King Tut's tomb. And he had this crazy idea that like there is this tomb because he kept on finding like little cups and other things with hieroglyphics stating uh, the King Tut. Um, And not much was known about King Tut. So he's like, I think there's another tomb. I think there's another tomb. And by then all the tombs were pretty much found. He finally convinced his sponsor for just one more season in 1922. And it is in his final season with his last money that he had that his workers exposed... um, basically uh, steps they found a few steps but what's interesting is they found these few steps to king tut's tomb underneath like ancient already ancient workmen's huts at the base of a tomb of another pharaoh so it's like you're talking like hundreds of years after um another pharaoh built, you know his work people's i guess homes and huts in that same area above king tut's tomb so while he's uh, while Carter's looking through these huts, they discover one step, and then he clears it off, and then he's like, "Wait, there's another step," and he clears it off, and he's like, "Holy crap! Like, there's actual steps going below." Going
1: down, yeah, and that's when a that's lot when of the uh, excitement starts. Yeah.
0: About well, first of all, he stopped, so they fill it up with with sand, and because of the nature of the beast here, you know, again, he's being sponsored by this super wealthy Brit. Um, he has to send a telegram to. England, and he's like, All right, you, you got to come down here. So they waited three weeks before they actually started to uncover those steps all the way down. Um, be, they waited for the wealthy guy to come in there. Yeah, there's like different chambers to get into. There's like an outer chamber, there's another chamber before, and then from the main room, there's like another room. I mean, this is like a, this isn't like one little tiny cave. Like, no, this is like a very elaborate, elaborate tomb.
1: And when they get in, there's several, there's several rooms. So they break, they break the seal. That's when they know they get inside. Supposedly um, they said this big rush of air came, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because, um, almost like a vacuum I hit him in the face. And that's, that's something that we'll talk about a little bit later. I guess we want to get to the whole idea of um the Pharaoh, the curse of the Pharaoh, right? Yeah. Like the Pharaoh's curse and things like that. And when they get inside, they start to basically just see all of these artifacts out of behind. So they know it's, they know it's a, um pharaoh's tomb right away like the, he yep. knows this is king tuts um saying one of the most famous things they eventually find it's probably the most iconic is that shoulder to head um helmet whatever you want golden to call golden mask golden mask which weighs yeah. 25 pounds of solid gold yeah and again what they realized later on about this is that Tutankhamun's commons uh is this was a rushed burial so it doesn't have a lot of the other things in there like he's actually in a secondhand coffin they believe it was another pharaoh's coffin before yep. it was his Um, Even though later on it beat, even though it's, it's priceless, like everything from King Tut's tomb.
0: Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics, and in turn, make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on.
1: Today is considered priceless because I mean, think
0: about it. It was locked without being opened for three thousand years.
1: So, yeah. uh, if you're talking about like seeing, like you know, people do like those time capsules where they'll bury yeah. it like, oh, here's a newspaper from 1950. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but that's nothing compared to you know, three thousand years ago. You're seeing this was not seen by human eyes since it was sealed in
0: modern world in modern yeah, history. Since never. it was
1: sealed three thousand years ago. That's yep. cool. and think about everything that's happened in that three thousand years, and f- for this to still be lay there being untouched is it's a unique find
0: yeah unique i mean find. even when they get there's an initial chamber and then they had to like clear off this long passageway which is like 26 feet long there's like these huge statues that are guarding this other door i mean this is like super crazy and they said elaborate. it was
1: a very unusual tomb how it was made it doesn't really match up with what they know about other pharaoh's tombs and again they think that was because a lot of the stuff in his tomb and his was all was all borrowed because it was such a rushed burial like they didn't speak. He was 19, they didn't think he was gonna die. Then he dies. Maybe it was, you know, like we said before, from that infection from his ostrich
0: races. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the stuff that was there. I mean, they had an actual chariot in there, like, yeah, weapons, so all weapons, canes. And the like idea was to give him anything and everything that he might want to use in his afterlife. They, I mean, they said it was loaded with couches, it was it, chariots, uh, food. Weapons. Forget, there was food in there, food. I mean. They literally loaded that entire chamber with like, you know, like, hey, you're going to chill here in the afterlife. So, so why not? And that right. is often why a lot of these tombs were actually robbed shortly after the pharaohs were buried. So it, uh, uh, archaeologists believe that um, there is evidence of his tomb being broken into potentially twice. But they say both times they were broken into was in ancient times, meaning like yeah. around the time he was buried.
1: It was that even during the medieval times. There was a lot, like all the Europeans would come, and they were into uh, mummies. And they would take the mummies and they would um, ground up the mummies themselves because they thought it was it was basically got, like healing properties if they ate or drank or sprinkled on their food the remnants of the mummy. That was a big thing during like the medieval period. In really? European.
0: Yeah. That sounds pretty gross. I'm just throwing that out there. Just a bit. They finally get through to another chamber, and that's when they find the actual um, King Tut. Or well, it's like there's an outer
1: coffin. There's yeah, there's four
0: coffin. of them, right? Isn't there like four like coffins? Those,
1: like what, what? are they called? Uh, like when you like open those, the like. Doll, and then it's a small I think of doll. those dolls.
0: Yeah, those Russian dolls. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Russian
1: dolls, man. We have to be. We got to be political. Well, no, Russian.
0: because they are Russian dolls. There's yeah, a name they have for them.
1: Be, yeah, not Russian dolls. It's an actual thing.
0: Dude, uh, you know what? Google. <laughs> I'm going to Google this. So, uh, Matroshka doll or something? Or her, Babushka, Babushka dolls, dude. That does not sound any more Russian than Babushka dolls.
1: I thought it was. I don't always speak of an M.
0: It is. It's like Matryoshka or also known as Babushka dolls. Nonetheless, right? So there's four of these coffin-esque tombs, I guess. They say the first one is actually painted in gold. It's made out of wood. And then they opened it up and then there was another one in there. And then they opened that up and there was another one in there. You know, It's like four different layers before they finally got to the mummy of King Tut. And within those layers is these this very famous old gold um face mask, I guess. King Tut is discovered. And as we mentioned before, it takes them. There's I mean, there's so much stuff. First of all, this hasn't been touched in 3000 years. They don't want to ruin this. They're trying to fly this stuff out to Cairo um, ultimately. And they start to slowly dismantle everything. But to the extent that even like the furniture and stuff that was in there they said that it was in there for 3,000 years and it all kind of like caked together. So they needed to like cut pieces apart without damaging them. So altogether- It's not just like you
1: walk and find this stuff and you can just move it.
0: Yeah, no, not not at all. It's not not a simple procedure. As I mentioned before, it took them 10 years to photograph every single artifact and move and clean every single artifact. So even before they got to his body, believe it or not, it took months before they got to his body. Like they decided to move all the other things like out of the way first before they got to the body, so they know it's there, and they're just taking their time because honestly, you don't want to screw this up. No,
1: you know you're not going to get this again.
0: No, no, not not in this pristine condition, unopened or unmolested for three thousand years. They also said it was like like some of the things. There's broken necklaces there, right? I don't of the cool thing
1: they found um, was actually a iron dagger. I don't know if you saw that.
0: No, I did you know, not see that. It's
1: it's famous Tut's famous dagger. Basically, they actually analyzed it in 2010, and they discovered that the iron blade was actually made from a meteorite.
0: What? And
1: that was like a really like big thing. That like King Tut's dagger is actually a meteorite from outer space.
0: I just looked in my notes. It was a year and a half later before they actually lifted the lid off the coffin. By the time yeah. they got to it, yeah.
1: imagine I'm just, just having to see. wait that long because you know you have to like and like wait. you
0: know it's there. Yeah. So the autopsy of the mummy of um, King Tut, they said he was about five feet, five, five, maybe one eighth of an inch tall. Um, He died around around the age of 18. Well, at first they thought maybe he might have been murdered because of the skull thing. We now know that was not the case. They obviously also found in his burial chamber, uh, they found this box that contained these jars, each of themselves in the shape of Egyptian coffins and elaborately decorated and these jars held the pharaoh's uh, embalmed organs, like liver, lungs, stomach, and intestines. found two small coffins, also simple, undecorated wooden box. Inside the coffins were the mummies of his premature um, babies. So these were, like, essentially stillborn babies that were mummified. But, I mean, Egyptians mummified their cats. I mean, they, they mummified Everything, animals. Yeah. yeah, Animals, cats, servants. Yeah, because the idea was, like, you wanted to bring that with you. You need to have it with You need to
1: have it yep. with you. Whatever you needed, so, in your, whatever you enjoyed in your normal life, they would then provide for you um, in your afterlife. That was basically the idea, the logic yeah. behind it. Yeah.
0: So King Tut, um, all of a sudden, it, I mean, again, this is 1920s. This is front page news. Rightfully so, I would say. We really yeah. describe how big of a deal this yeah.
1: is. And it, it beca- and it stays that way and it becomes another big deal um, much later on. In the 70s, it also comes uh, becomes a big deal again. But people always heard about ancient Egypt. Egypt always had this like lore, especially in the Western world, right? Because it was different. It was exotic. And then they actually f- have this tomb found undiscovered, untouched for over 3,000 years. It it just sent this fury. And then the newspapers went crazy for it. The people wanted to see everything that was going on in it. And that really also, the sens- the sensationalism also then carried into, I guess, what we can talk about now a little bit, was the whole idea of King Tut's uh, the, the Curse of the Mummy, right? The Ruby yeah, I was curse. gonna
0: go with the idea of curse. I, I mean, the movies picked up on this, that's for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. So what? So what's the whole idea of the Curse of the Mummy?
1: Well, it was for many years. There's always this Curse of the pharaoh, Pharaohs, right? And it was probably fueled by newspapers seeking like sales at the time of the discovery. Mm-hmm. This big, like, oh yeah, because this whole big thing. And the idea was that. Um, there's a, there is like a logo or like a warning saying, like, do not go into the tomb. You will be cursed if you do this. And again, with this Western lore of what, how crazy um, Egypt was, or interesting Egypt was, there's also saying that a lot of the people who were the first ones to enter the tomb all died. That ne- wasn't necessarily the, the truth. They're also saying that some people did get sick originally, and they think what happened was when that gust of air hit them, that air, that stale air is 32,000 years old. Right, yep. 3,000, 3,200 3, years old. Yeah, I was gonna I mean, say
0: three thousand. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And um, plus, like we said before, there was food in there. And that yeah. food rotted, and that food had uh, bacteria fermented. So there's a lot of bacteria that's coming off of that. So when they're moving around, they're around this this food that has not been touched for over three thousand years, and it's just t- kicking up this dust and this debris. And they a lot of them are breathing it in, and they're going to get respiratory illnesses from that.
0: Did you like look into some of the specific cases though? Some of them were a little freaky.
1: There were, um, I'm not trying to cut you off. I'm sorry. There no, were no, 58 go, go People who were present when the tomb was opened, the sarcophagus itself, right? When they yep. opened that up, that's really the ones that were said, "Right, you're going to die." Eight died within 12 years after it happened. And if you yeah. look statistically, that that stuff is going to happen. Now there were car crashes, right? You had lymphoma. See so how uh, Howard Carter died of um, lymphoma in thirty nine, but he was sixty four years old. Which is yeah, no, but like the, like the other guys, like so. Right
0: which guy did you talk about the car accident guy? Which one was that?
1: I know there was someone with a, with a um, car accident.
0: Where George Herbert, right, yeah. the guy that financed this whole thing, dies like months after it's discovered. Are because this it, is yeah. kind of crazy. He tears open a mosquito bite while you know on his face while shaving, and it ends up like poisoning his blood. It was a blood poison issue and he dies shortly thereafter. This is like months after he discovered the tomb. Yeah. And then you have Sir Bruce Ingram. Um, he's an archeologist who discovered a tomb uh, along with um, Howard Carter. <laughs> Interestingly, this is kind of weird too. So Carter, who is the guy credited for discovering the tomb itself, gave Ingram paperweight, right? As a gift. And a paperweight was actually consisted of a mummified hand, wearing a bracelet. And that was like, you know, supposedly there was like a little inscription on it that said, curse be he who moves my body. Anyway, Ingham's house burns down to the ground literally like weeks after he receives this gift. Um, and when he tries to rebuild it, the house is hit with a flood. So they're saying that's part of the curse. Then you have George J. Gold, who was a wealthy American financier that kind of helped. He, he
1: developed a big fever, right?
0: Yeah. And immediately afterward, he fell sick. He visited a tomb in 1923 And then he gets super sick and dies from pneumonia like months later. Then you have um, Aubrey Herbert, um, half brother of the guy that financed King Tut's uh, entire expedition. He winds up getting an infection of his teeth and dying shortly thereafter. Um, Then you have um, Evelyn White, Hugh Evelyn White, a British archaeologist uh, visited uh, Tut's tomb. They say he might've helped excavate the site, but perhaps not. Anyway, Shortly after seeing King Tut's tomb, um, he decides to hang himself, and he writes uh, in his own blood. Apparently, near where he hangs himself, I've succumbed to a curse which forces me to, to disappear. So there is some like crazy, and I'm mean, not even done. Like there's more. The radiologist that X-rayed King Tut got sick and died uh, literally the next day after he was done um, X-raying his body.
1: Yeah, don't mess with mummy's tombs, I guess.
0: Right. The Mummy with um, Brendan Fraser, the Mummy trilogy. I really enjoyed the first one. They they dis- like totally destroyed the whole CGI aspect of the Rock and the sequel. But I really loved the first well, one. Like,
1: we cannot say anything negative about the Rock.
0: I know, but have you seen? That's He's, some bad CGI, yeah, bro. But, but,
1: well, it, that was what? That was a while ago. They don't
0: well, yeah, but I you. would have expected more. But the first one's really good. I'm not. I'm not even talking about the original, you know, Mummy movies from like the 30s. Those were good too. But I'm trying to get my kid to watch this. And and Luke, he's probably like 10 at the time, 11. And it's a PG-13 movie. I mean, I guess it was a stretch. But like 20 minutes in, he's like, Dad, you got to shut this off. This is scary. And I'm like, it's The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. What are you talking about? Anyway, I literally just asked him this afternoon because I knew we were going to record this. I'm like, hey, bud, you want to watch this with me? And he's like 13. And he's like, no, Dad, that's cool. I don't want to watch it.
1: Like no, yeah, it's not, it doesn't hold up, like you said, probably with the special effects yeah, come and on. I'm like afraid but of this. You gotta remember that it it just goes in phases. So I think they did make a Marmy movie not too long ago with um it was one with Tom the, Cruise, right? Tom Cruise, Tom right? Cruise yeah. actually. Yeah, they were going to like, we do like the universal monsters and stuff like that. I guess the, another big, it rev- was a huge revival right in the 20s of Egyptian ology right in the United States. Yeah. And yet another big one in the 70s, because what happened is some of, it's very rare for this to happen. That's why one reason why big happens, becomes such a big deal, is that the Egyptian government allows a lot of the artifacts actually tour the world. In the 70s, they actually come to the United States, and there's this traveling exhibition you can actually go to and see it, and a lot of it was shown on television. And so people were all obsessed with King Tut, King Tut. And then, again, I think we talked about it before, mentioned it. On a Sunday Night Live, Steve Martin sang his song, King Tut, in 1978, live. And that kind of just, again, spurred on this. This uh, phenomenon making me become more yeah. of a pop icon than anything else. And but now, um, the artifacts, the, uh, the actual mummy itself, it did come to the United States. Oh, when was it? Probably in the mid 2000s. I remember actually going to see it in New York City, but. What's crazy is you go there, you're like, wow, this is King Tarsis, this is the mask. And they tell you now that none of the – there was only three artifacts that were there, I believe, that were actually from the tomb. And it was like small stuff like – Yeah, they actually keep everything in Egypt. None None of it leaves Egypt anymore. None of it leaves Egypt. And it hasn't even been on display. It wasn't even on display for a couple of years. They put it back out from 2011, 2019. It wasn't even on display because they had to create this almost like a vacuum chamber. Um, because people were coming in, like the humidity from the people's bodies and stuff like that was causing the decay of the mummy itself. So yeah. now it's the mummy itself is in like this glass chamber. And when we went to go see it in New York City a couple years ago, it looks like the mummy. It's a replica of the mummy, but it's not the real mummy. And it, yeah. everything in there is pretty much a replica. Because the Egyptian government doesn't loan this stuff out. It says, no, it stays in Egypt now. It stays at um, the area known as Luxor in Egypt. That's where they keep all of these mummies, tombs and things is
0: crazy. I mean, I would love to go to Egypt. I, I feel like before I die, it's one of those things. I've that known I people that have
1: gone. It's, it's it's a worthwhile trip. Yeah,
0: I would think, right? They've done so many studies on the body of King Tut since then.
1: Oh, they've actually done like they recreated what he would look like today, like the Yep.
0: um, they like the, club foot and everything. Like crazy. they they completely yeah. recreated him, and that's basically through different cities. So in two thousand five, they did an entire CT scan of his whole body. Which ultimately shows not just bones, but like living tissue as well. And again, technology is—it's crazy. I mean, to the extent that it showed that like his right foot was flat, and his left foot was clubbed, um, and then he suffered a bone disease, and that you they know, I'm
1: curious so many times, like just for the fact that they were able to tell all this. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah,
0: just from like again, from a mummy, three thousand
1: like, year old mummy, but yeah,
0: which is insane. Now, if you go. If you're an archaeologist, you don't really have access to his mummified remains. But what they did is they actually scanned his entire body. They made the CT scan available. And if you're an archaeologist that wants to do studies on on his body and on the mummy, they bring you to this um, flat screen TV that is as large as the actual coffin was. So like, so it's huge. Like it, it's the size of the real life person. And as you come up to this thing, you get to like click on the screen and it pops up like the mummy's remains, it's it's all virtual. And it, it's not just like for yeah. like you or me to go and play around with. No, you need special access just to even get to those files because you're standing in front of like a digitized full scale replica of um, King Tut's remains. And then you could literally, like, move it upside down, over, like, I mean, this entire thing, I, I saw a documentary on it, and it's insane. It's like, hey, don't touch the body, you don't need to, because we completely digitized it.
1: Again, yeah, If someone touches, they, they want to keep that body, no one touches, it's such a, a trash or treasure, and it's priceless, just having people near it as we just breathe, the condensation, stuff like that, it's going to deteriorate it. Yeah, it says they do the same thing with the Declaration of Independence, right? You know how that's not always out in display. A lot of times, it's like a fake one that's out there, or oh, yeah. sounds like the UV light. because just the normal lights are just decaying the document. It's just paper. This is a lot older, you know. King Tut's a lot older than the Declaration of Independence.
0: Yeah, to say the least. All right. Um, I mean, that's that's. I think that's a pretty cool introduction to King Tut.
1: Yeah, I think we uh, were able to. Touch on, a, on some aspects of his life, touch on some aspects and really how he became much more famous in his death than his life. Yeah, that's probably the, Absolutely. From his, they, the successors after him pretty much tried to erase him and he was the last of his line. He didn't have any offspring of his own that survived. And so he was the last of his line. When he dies, his family lineage dies too. And the pharaohs, though the power that the people who gave him, the power after him, pretty much erased him from history. There was very little known about him until after they recovered his tomb in 1922.
0: One last thing that was I found kind of interesting is that most of the tombs that have been uncovered um, have been raided so many times by thieves, essentially, that we really don't have a lot of artifacts from like the real big known pharaohs. But we have it from this like little known pharaoh, you know, King Tut, and they're saying that just the riches in this modest, I guess, by comparison, tomb makes us imagine of what riches were stolen over the years from all the yeah. other tombs.
1: It's again, I everything mean, they found there is prices a twenty five pound gold, you know, helmet basically, right? Yeah. And all these other things, over five thousand artifacts, and they're saying that is nothing compared to what like would have been in. Um, Imhotep's tomb or, or Ramses II's tomb. Yeah. So yeah, Nuts. again, we'll ne- we'll never know. It's because he was such this small, nothing, forgotten history, insignificant, basically crippled king that he that we were able to find all this stuff that he had that it was uh, that it was left undiscovered.
0: Anyway, I guess that uh, that pretty much sums up our our, our little episode of uh, on King Tut. King Tut. Yes. I said little. I feel like no pun intended because you know he was kind of a smaller dude. But hey, no pun pun intended there.
1: We bring the facts.
0: That's right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and tuning in to our podcast. As always, the pleasure is all ours. And uh, as always, we would invite you guys to continue listening and tuning in every week. And also, do not forget to subscribe wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. And also, if you want to contact us, please feel free to do so. We are available in multiple places you could find us on facebook at history teachers talking podcast and you could find us at history teachers talking podcast.com as well as on twitter and instagram all right thank you so much guys for listening and we'll see you guys next week enjoy Take easy be safe I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast and if you would like to email us you can do so at history at gmail.com i'm ken harbaugh host of burn the boats from evergreen podcasts i interview political leaders and influencers folks like award-winning journalist soledad o'brien and conservative columnist bill crystal about the choices they confront when failure is not an option i won't agree with everyone i talk to but i respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.